Blog Talk Radio. My name is Ian Eisenberg in New York City today. Uh, along with us is Jay Logan and Gail Davis. We're here live at the Wix.com website. And let's go and let's bring them on. Let's bring on Jay Logan and Gail. Hello. Hey, how are you? Hey, hey I'm Ian. How are you today? Hello, everybody. How are you? We're doing. Hey, Ian. Doing how are, are you? you? I'm great. I'm glad that we're here. Where are we, Gail? We are at Wix.com live, Wixlounge.com. You guys must come down and enjoy Wix.com here on uh, 18th Street. We look forward to really seeing you between 5th and 6th Avenues. It's a great co-working space, and you can really get a lot of work done. So to all of those creatives in arts, music, and film, Come on down and have a great time and get your work done here. Excellent, Gal. Yeah, it's definitely a beautiful place, well lit here in the city. So this is Parents Kids Music, where we talk about the relationships that people have with parents and children when it comes to music. We speak about everything. It doesn't matter if you are a parent at one point, you are a child. You grew up listening to your parents and having ever seen the car. So, so Jay, I hear we have some news. Um, Jay, what would you like to share with us today? Looks like we lost Jay. Jay will call us back in one second. So, other Jay, I mean Ian. While we're waiting for Jay, did you hear about the new 4S Apple phone? 4S? Wait, what happened to the iPhone 5? Wait, huh? I don't know what happened to 5, but I know that they came out with 4S, so I guess we have to wait until 5 next year. What do you think? I think that the naming convention of this is not guaranteed. The first iPhone was not called the iPhone 1. The second iPhone was not called the iPhone 2. The third iPhone was not called the iPhone 3. The fourth one was called iPhone 4. But the fifth was not called iPhone 5. My prediction is next year, when they come out with another iPhone, it will be called the iPhone 4G, and it will run 4G. I don't think there will ever be a phone called the iPhone 5. Even though you see a lot of negative backlash on that. But you know what, Ian? I have to say, though, um, even though they didn't call it the iPhone 5, I have to say it's a big difference from the iPhone 4. A lot of the kids out here now are already telling their parents that they want to scrap the iPhone 4 they have and get the iPhone 4S. Well, you want to hear a secret? Me too. I want this new iPhone. I do too. I mean, Ian, can you believe it? After all this time, we thought we would never... 
Well, you know what? Well, Jay is back. So, Jay, welcome back. Hey, how you doing there? Excellent. I know there's an academy that you want to talk to us about. I sure, us. I, sure, I, sure, I sure do. And I was wondering if all our uh, fans out there heard about the uh, Khan Academy. Khan Academy is a wonderful place where you can learn for free. And they're not a non they're not a nonprofit, but the goal is to ch- is changing education for the better by providing the free world world class education to anyone anywhere. So if you're a teacher or homeschooler or principal or even a young adult or adult returning to the classroom, uh, you can go there and you can uh, you can learn pretty much anything you want. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, website. So you guys get a chance. Uh, Check that out, ConAcademy.org, and uh, it's, it's wonderful. My daughter's been using it, and we learn every day from there. So I think it's a healthy educational that, environment. That, that that sounds great. That is something that I will definitely take a look at. I, I invite you to. As I said, we have a packed show today, so are we ready to bring out our first guests? Jay, are you ready? I'm ready, yes. We're very ready, ready. All right. We are ready. All right, so let's bring them on. We have have Nathan and Natalie here on all of us. They just recently got married and are starting a new art studio in Vermont called Spark Arts. So, Nathan and Natalie, welcome. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much. Excellent. Yeah, so um, thank, once again, thanks for joining us. I know it's um, you guys up in Vermont today. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Cold, it's a little cold. A little, little cold up here. It's kind of uh, kind of windy, but it's a beautiful fall day up here in Vermont. Very cool. So, um, so let's just get into the questions and the background. I'm like you know like. Growing up, what kinds of music did you listen to growing up, like in the back seat of your parents' car? <laughs> uh, for me, it was more in the living room of my parents' house. Um, we, we, I grew up in an extremely musical family, and uh, we had a lot of, um, a lot of playing music around. Uh, just, just uh, we had with chamber groups and brass groups and. Um, played a lot of classical music when I was growing up, to a lot of classical and and some some jazz. While we when we got to uh, high school, we started playing jazz and listening to jazz. And we were pretty much music snobs um, and uh, classical and jazz music snobs right from the start. And then it wasn't until I got into college and 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 beyond that I started exploring other musics and and getting into other styles of music. So um, you know, it's it's uh, it's been music all the time from the time I was. You know, a little kid, and I think I think Natalie's experience is probably a little different, right? Yeah, it's a little bit different. <laughs> um, my parents, my dad liked jazz, so I did listen to a little bit of jazz. But um, my mom was into <laughs> musical theater, so show tunes were a big part of that. Um, and then um, we listened to a lot of pop music, a lot of popular music, um, a lot of '70s music. My mom really liked the Bee Gees and ABBA, um, so I, <laughs> I listen to them a lot. So, you know, I, I would love to know, Nathan and Natalie, this is Gail. So being that you listen to that kind of music then, 
right? I would love to know how different is your musical taste now. What kind of music do you guys listen to now, today? Well, um, I, I love show tunes. Uh, um, I ended up going to school for musical theater, so I still listen to a lot of musical theater. Um, I love jazz music. I listen to jazz all the time. I love classical music. Um, I don't – I like um, pop music that is um, a little – older like I still like 70s music I like 80s music I actually I sing with an 80s cover band um but newer people that I like I like Adele um I like I don't know yeah older pop music not so into the pop music of today necessarily there are some exceptions but yeah and I I I sort of I still listen to a lot of jazz. I still listen to a lot of the stuff I did growing up. But I also, um, in terms of just different genres, I think a lot of it is just a, it's like I, it's like I got um, I, a sense of musical appreciation really early on. This cultivated sort of like um, I guess it's a snobbery, but it's sort of a, a, like an appreciation for um, something that takes a lot of discipline and talent to to get good at. So, like, for instance, I've been a fan of Ben Folds since college, and that's not only because it's catchy, uh, you know, catchy pop music, but also because the guy can write a song and play the piano like nobody's business. And so so a lot of the sort of, you know, indie sort of rock and pop stuff where it's so clear that they actually can sing and can compose and can play, um, as opposed to just any old, you know, pop song. I think it's it's all about, for me, it's all about sort of how much discipline and talent it takes to do what the person's doing. Yeah, there's a new band, actually, a, a newer band called Fun that we really like. Um, they're kind of an indie indie pop rock band, um, and they are excellent, excellent musicians, excellent musicians. And, they, and, and we liked them so much and ended up listening to them on all our car trips and road trips and stuff while we were dating. And so we ended up having a, a musical friend of mine arrange a small chamber music version of some of their music for our wedding ceremony. That's really funny. <laughs> you beat me to it, to the fun pun. That's fun. <laughs> hey, Jay, did you have any questions for these guys? Yes, yes, this is Jay, uh, Nathan and Natalie, and um, congratulations, first of all. I'd like to say that. Thank you very much. Welcome, yeah. to, our, <laughs> welcome to our show. <laughs> my, quest, my question was, um, when you see family now as an adult, what role does, it, what role does music play in it? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm, um, I mean, music plays a huge part in uh, just in our our day to day life, and I'm actually a parent as well. I have a uh, 13 year old daughter. She'll be 13. 12, she'll be 14 next month, actually. Um, and, wow. And she's a bit. She's a big music nerd, <laughs> and uh, she's <laughs> she just got into high school now, and she's uh, she's playing French horn, and she's just. Um, again, she, uh, we actually incorporated her into the wedding ceremony too. She played when I'm 64, and I played the guitar with her. Um, so, so she's a big, she's big into music, and um, it's it's a big, it's always been sort of a huge part of our family identity, I think. Um, and uh, so, as a, you know, as a parent, and I, I just try to take some of those lessons that I, you know, that I learned as a kid, and and impart them to my daughter. But on the other hand, you just you want to make sure that they always sort of. Um, retain that kind of love for the reason why they played music to begin with. You know, I, I remember um, I went to school for music for a year or so, and I I really by the time I got like it was a real conservatory sort of atmosphere, and by the end of my first year, I got so burnt out on 
on the technical side of music that I sort of forgot why I liked it in the first place. Um, and, I, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important is just to sort of try to keep your kind of wonder about it and your fun about it. And obviously you want to strive to get better as a musician and, um, and always be sort of improving, but you also want to retain that sense of fun. So I try to sort of walk that line with my daughter and just make sure that she's, you know, always improving, but always having a good time at the same time. Very cool. I've, I don't know if that answered your question or not. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, Nathan, would you talk about your experience as a children's playwright and how did that come sure. about? Sure. Yeah, um, actually, that that was really interesting. I um, <laughs> this goes. I don't know how much personal information I should divulge here. Um, I I um, my daughter's mother is actually a, a very good friend of mine, and and we um, she's also a very gifted. Um, she works with with children in theater a lot. Um, and a gifted director with children. And um, long, long ago, maybe almost 10 years ago now, she um, she wanted uh, some kind of a play for her after-school drama workshop or whatever. Um, and I wrote one for her. Um, and we just sort of we sort of sat down and outlined something. And so she said, these are the kids I have, and these are the, there's a number of characters I need, and this is the kind of thing I'm to do. And I wrote sort of a little murder mystery dinner theater thing for her. Um, and I had a great time doing it, and then I got to see it almost immediately put on stage and have a bunch of kids do it, and then I, I got to see what worked and what didn't, and I, I got to sort of edit it a little bit. And and we did this experiment several times in a row. I ended up with three or four kids' plays that I felt were pretty good, but um, I hadn't really done a whole lot with them. I put them in a drawer, and I, I this was when I was living in New York. Um, and when I moved to Vermont, um, I got them back out again. I had a summer free. I was living in a cabin in the woods in the summertime, and I said, I'm going to get these out and sort of edit them and uh, send them around for, you know, to some publishers. So I sent them around to about, I think, a dozen publishers. Um, I put a little package together with, like, four of my plays, sent them to a bunch of publishers, and got pr- promptly sat, sat back and let the rejection letters roll in. Um, spent about a year getting rejection letters from each one of these. You know, every couple of months I'd get one. And um, and one of the biggest, actually the biggest publisher of children's uh, drama in the country, Pioneer, I had yet to hear from. Um, so I sent them an email and asked them if they had a chance to look at it. And it was like almost a full year later. And they finally got back to me and said they were really interested in it. It just had taken them a long time to get down to the bottom of the pile there. But um, And they ended up publishing several of my kids' plays. And they've been great and they've selling really well. And like it's been really exciting because now I can see, um, you know, I have a couple of Google alerts set up for, for the names of my plays and stuff. And once in a while I'll get this really great, somebody will post a link to a, a chunk of the video or a photo album or something of a bunch of kids in Topeka, Kansas or something putting on a play that I wrote, um, which is a real trip. So um, I just actually, I, I, I just finished um, one called The Great Nursing Home Escape, um, which is about a bunch of elderly people trying to escape a nursing home. Um, for, you know, and that's going to be published by Hoyer, another publisher I publish with, um, pretty soon here. So it, it's it's been a lot of fun. I really like I like writing for that. Um, you know, they sort of like eight to eighteen year olds. Um, their experience in theater is so sort of vital. It's such a um, it's such a great thing for kids that age to be involved in theater because it's it's a real you know it's a real team effort. Um, and there are no winners and losers. There's just a lot of like self esteem building and kids get a lot out of it and so to to be a part of that in some way I I also work with kids and and direct these kinds of plays too and it's just such a pleasure to watch um, kids sort of build their self-esteem and their performance skills through theater 
is amazing, Nathan. Now, Jam, I believe you have a question for Natalie. I sure do. I'm very, very interested. Uh, the 80s cover band. <laughs> Implementation. I uh, yeah, I, I sing with a I'm the lead lead vocalist for um, an 80s cover band called Hot Neon Magic. It's uh, hotneonmagic.com, and we play all over the place. Um, you know, we we play weddings and private parties, and we play at bars and uh, do the whole thing. And uh, it it is I've done a lot of different kinds of performing. I you know I I was classically trained um, as well, so I do some opera stuff, and I've done musical theater, and I've done, you know, just uh, straight plays, and um, but I have to say that the 80s cover band is the most fun I've ever had on stage, and I get to do it, like, every weekend, <laughs> so it's it's really, really great, and, um, you know, I get to, to take on the personality. Of, in real life, I'm kind of, you know, I'm a music nerd through and through, um, but, you know, every once once a week, I get to take on this personality of, uh, you know, a hardcore 80s rocker, and I get to sing Pat Benatar and um, wow. AHA and, you know, all the totally radical 80s songs. So we do, like, the new wave 80s music, not ha- no hair bands, but mostly mm-hmm. new wave stuff. Do you dress the part oh, also, Mary? Oh, yeah. I have more 80s costumes than I have real clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love shopping for uh in stores for for 80s outfits. I've got you know plenty of spandex, um, leather leather pants, you know the slip dresses, lots of shoulder pads going on in my closet. Wow. Neon colors. It's, wow. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Many, I, I've I've got to say. How many pieces do you have in your van? And that's my final question. Five. Um, I, I'm on vocals, and every once in a while, I, I swap over to the keys. Um, we've got a keyboard player, bass, guitar, and drums. Awesome musicians. They Very do a cool. lot of other side projects as well, but, um, you know, it's the same. Like, it, it, there's not really anything more fun than dressing up like an 80s rock star and, and playing that music. It's so so fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Natalie, I have to, I have to come in here with Jay a little bit. I have to ask you and Nathan the question: How did a sure. kid relate when they see you in your '80s costume? It must be like hilarious. Like, you know, you know how kids how, are today. How do, I'm sorry. I'm how, sorry. What how was that? Kids, how do the kids relate to you on the '80s? Oh, they love it. <laughs> They love it. Um, every I would say like four or five. Most of our gigs are um, like evening gigs that that are you know eighteen or twenty one and up. Um, but there are like four or five gigs, not including the um, the weddings and stuff, where kids can come. They're like earlier in the evening. Um, we play this one place in Burlington called Breakwaters, which is like right out on the lake. And um, this summer was. The, the best we had, you know, I had some of my my high school students there, and they were like, oh, my gosh, Natalie, I didn't even recognize you. Um, and then I had, you know, I always have these, like, younger kids, usually, like, between the ages of four and eight, who will, like, hover around the end of the stage and just 
stare at me and ask me for my autograph afterwards and everything. And um, they they really, you know, the rock star persona um, really makes a a strong impression. And uh, on the younger kids and on the older kids, it's it's cool because they know who I am in real life. And I I mean, we we do a number of things. So they I do stand up comedy and we do a whole bunch of other things. So they see me in all these different roles and they see that, you know, it's all theatrically and musically based, all the stuff that we do and how, how easy it is and how fun it is to transition from kind of like from one personality into another um, and that they can really be whoever they want to be. They can do anything they want, even if they're, you know, a classical music nerd, they can still be in an 80s cover band, you know. So I, I love that. I, I love that. Well, that brings us into this. We would love to know, we want to thank you for coming on with us, and we want to know about Spark Arts. Can you and Nathan tell us where people, tell us, first of all, you know, in a short way about Spark Arts and where people can find out more about the Spark Arts a school that you're actually uh, opening for students around this. It's amazing. Tell us about it. Sure. Yeah, we um, we're really excited about it. Actually, we've 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 both taught workshops um, in a number of places over the last few years um, in in a lot of things uh, for kids, teenagers, and adults. Um, Natalie teaches acting classes um, for teenagers, teenagers, and as well as adults, and um, and, and I and musical theater classes, and I teach um, you know theater and improv classes for young children. Um, and also a stand-up comedy class for adults. And so um, piano lessons, all that. So we decided that we wanted to try to open our own place and have a studio space for, that could be dedicated to um, teaching these kinds of classes um, affordably, um, you know, high-quality classes in Burlington. And so we launched this plan, um, basically sort of a ridiculous plan, but but we decided we wanted to try to launch um, a, a sort of a, a fundraising campaign for it um, on our wedding night, that was sort of the the, the gimmick, and uh, and so we, we we basically planned it out so that we could make a video um, during our wedding, in between the ceremony and reception. Um, we took a few minutes and and had a cameraman there, and we made ourselves a, a pitch video um, for this site called Indiegogo, which is a crowdfunding um, site. So uh, so we did that and and posted the thing the night of our wedding at 2.30 in the morning. Um, and the reaction has just been fantastic. We we, um, we had a goal of $3,500, which we wanted to use to replace the floors in the studio and um, build, buy some new equipment and uh, sort of outfit the space um, for, uh, you know, for, for what we needed to do with it. Um, and we had reached our goal within a week um, which is amazing. We still have a month to go on the on the thing. So, so we're we're continuing to run the campaign. We have some sort of new and exciting perks for um, reaching goals beyond the 3,500, and um, and we're very excited about that. We have uh, basically any money we make from now on, 40% of it is going to go to towards scholarships for kids who can't afford this, the the classes. Um, so we're really excited about it, and it's just been it's been great because um, the the fundraising campaign itself, you know, we felt like. You know, we didn't just slap something up there and just have everybody automatically donate. It, it, we we have a we have a lot of really amazing connections and, and people who really li- like what we're doing, believe in us, um, and we really felt that. We felt like the last five years of what we've been doing in our community has really sort of built a level of goodwill where people wanted to be involved in what we were doing, um, and 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 sort of spoke with their wallets in that respect. So, um, so we're thank you. Super excited. That was amazing. 
It's been just, I, I got to thank both of you. Like, I think it's just amazing what has happened in just less than a week. And I thank you so much for being on the show. And we definitely appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you for having us and letting us uh, spread the word about Spark Arts. Um, you can, like, anyone who's listening, you can find us at um, sparkartsvt.com. That's our website. Excellent. And we will mention that again for you as well, uh, Natalie. Thank you so much for being on. Thank, thank you. you, Natalie. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you so much. Bye now. All right, bye. Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. We are also bringing on our next guest. He's an esteemed gentleman who's done so much for the community, the community he lives in, and communities around the world. He's done so much for youth. He's done so much for art, music, and everything. So, without further ado, we'd like to bring on Danny Simmons, who is a painter, a creator of art, music, you name it. He has done it. Welcome, Danny. How are you? Hey, how you doing? Uh, glad to be on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And how are you this fine day? Uh, busy. Uh, I'm gearing up for a new project, a New York City artist-based initiative called Curate NYC. And we've just been trying to launch the website and getting press releases formulated and out. And been at it since about 5.30 this morning. But uh took time out to, to hang with you guys for a minute. Well, we thank you for that. And if you don't mind, we know your schedule is crazy, so we're going to get right in here with you. So you know the the show is about parents, kids, and music. And, you know, Danny, we know that you know a lot about music. And one of the things we want to know from you is what music did you listen to when you grew up, when you were growing up, and what was the difference in the music that your parents also listened to in the home? Uh that you know, when I grew up, it encompasses a couple of eras of music. So, I mean, when I when when I was young, I, I really young. Uh, what was on was WWRL and Motown and soul music and um, you know uh, some rock and roll. As I, as I got a little older and into my teens, though, uh, I started listening to rock music, uh, Jimi Hendrix and. And rock the doors and stuff like that, and um, you know Bob Dylan uh, during the '60s and early '70s, and as hip hop started to develop, and watching that develop through Russell and then finally and then Run and meeting all the people in the hip hop era, uh, the early people, uh, hip hop became a language that I listened to, a music that I listened to a lot. But throughout that, to uh, that, I also listened to a great deal of jazz. Um, but mostly, it was rock and hip hop and and, and uh, R and B. Now, I, now I must ask you this: Growing up, did your parents also listen to the same kinds of music, or did they kind of think that you and your brother were from other planets in the music that you listened to? I don't think they thought. I don't think they thought I was from another planet. But their music was definitely uh, different. Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Ray Charles. 
uh, music from there. And that's what we heard around the house when, when you know, if we weren't in our room playing our music, then we, we listened to a whole lot of Ray Charles and Brooke Benton and, and, you know, Nancy Wilson and stuff like that because that was the music that they enjoyed and they owned the record player. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sandy, I have to ask you this. Your your father and mother were both in education, okay? Right, uh, right. I read a little bit up on here. I think it found out your dad was a truant officer, too. Yeah, he was. So, so that must have kept you in school. But I noticed your mom was a painter, and I wanted to know, did that have any influence on you in becoming an artist yourself? Well, you know, I have to say that it was probably the biggest influence on me. Uh when I when I was a child, I mean, uh, she was she besides being a painter, she worked for the New York City Parks Department. But her role was preschool education, and which includes a lot of arts and crafts, I would assume. And so she brought home, and I would have think probably stole, but brought home a whole bunch of art supplies, and and, and sat us down, or me mostly. Um, and taught me how to draw and paint and encouraged me to draw and paint and took me to museums quite a bit. So my mother was probably a huge influence on my becoming a painter and my and my love of the visual arts. But on the flip side, my father was a writer. And he would recite, I mean, they both had good city jobs, uh, as they called them, uh, with pensions. And they were always worried about me, Russell, and Run not having a pension uh, when we went off into different careers. But my father would constantly be reciting the poetry he did and, and the books that he was writing and reading us excerpts from it. So, you know, I sort of picked up a little bit from both of those influences, and I guess that's what my, my career in the arts reflects as a personal artist. My writing, uh, I guess, came from my father. My painting came from my mother. Wow, that's amazing, you know, Danny, because often we say we are our parents. But here you developed your own creative art expression, you know, through what your parents did and were inspired. And so I want to bring on Ian. He has a couple of interesting questions for you as well. Are you ready, Ian? Well, yes, I am. Hi, Danny. How are you today? Hey, Ian. What's up, man? I'm all right. Yeah, I'd like to know, about, like, cool. what's, like, the first um, piece of art that you that you created? Oh, my God. I mean, you know, that's also a time-related question. Uh, you know, there was art I created as a child, and then there was art that, that uh, I created, you know, during a period where I was, you know, half doing art and half being a social worker. I, I, but as a, when I started my art career, uh, there was a painting that Russell has. And it was a really large painting, and it was called uh, it's called uh, View from the Mountaintop, and it's 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 a huge blue painting, and I just Russell brought it out of storage and had it in his house in the Hamptons, of a woman carrying a fruit bowl on a mountaintop, and all these celestial figures above her, and all these bands of color. It's, it's so very different than the work that I do now, but I could see where that could be the beginnings and where I ended up, and I could see the continuum of how I got from that point to where I'm at now. Excellent. And what do you think about where art and music come together today for youth? Uh, you know, the, you know, I don't know how to quite answer that question. They, they, my answer is always couch. I think that both are really valid forms of creative expression. And, you know, for a lot of people, 
hearing music inspires visual things or visual things inspires memory or thoughts of music. So I think that with most painters and, and, and musicians that they feed each other. And I think that children, and especially young people, should be in an environment that, that promotes both of those things because I think for a lot of people those things feed on each other and you know music you know is very colorful in in the way it's put together so and a lot of people it invokes color it invokes movement and all of most of those things are really inherent in when you create paintings especially if you're creating paintings that are abstract that you need to feel color and you need to feel movement and music will have you do that and translate that to a visual realm excellent now, Jay, do you have any questions for Danny? Yes, I do, Danny. Uh, how are you doing? Um, hey, why are you? I'm doing great out here. I wanted to ask you, and this is kind of kind of around the same lines, but not exactly. How do you think art and tech and music affect youth today and their direction in life? You said tech? Yeah, like, you know, technical stuff, art, you know, and music. Yeah, yeah that's, what I thought. Think- that's what I thought you meant. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, one of the things uh, about technology is uh, that you can create a lot of art and you can manipulate a lot of art. Photography used to be a pretty static thing, and now you can add elements into photography that come from your imagination through, uh, through a number of various programs where you can take a photograph that you might take and really turn it into something that transcends the environment that you took it in. Uh, so I think technology has a really big place in, in, in the future of art. Also the way art, even more so in the way art is presented. I mean, right now the, the project that I'm working on, Curate NYC, we have five shows, one in each borough. Around, we're going to have five shows, one in each borough around New York City. But we're going to have 15 to 20 online exhibitions where curators curate from a pool of art and have it online. So a lot of stuff is being viewed now online. Uh, Art is being viewed online. And that somehow changes the nature of the way it's created because if you're creating something that you know is not going to be viewed in the real world, quote-unquote, and it's going to be viewed mostly in the virtual world, it may change for many artists the way they construct their work you know, taking into account the way it's going to be seen. So I think that as we move further along into the technological sphere, that technology is going to play a very big role in how art's created. But also, one of the great things about technology is that it gets your work out to a much larger global audience. Everybody's online. Everybody's looking at everything. So, you know, artists are going to have to be more adept in marketing uh, for lack of a better word, getting their word out there via technology. It's no longer uh, paintings on walls or, or, or music in a club. Everything is being streamed and, and sent via electronics, so it can go to anybody anywhere. And so, you know, you, you're going to have a wider audience. Uh, you're going to have a worldwide audience looking at your stuff very soon. Does uh, I was going to ask also, like the technology side, does this interfere with the copyrights of your artwork? Do you have situations where people are lifting your 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 paintings or your pictures or your artwork and, and kind of stealing them? Does the technology play a part in that? Well, I I I personally have not had that experience, but I I know 
people who have um very famous photographer Jamel Shabazz um had to uh, ask a company to uh cease and desist using one of his photographs uh in an ad campaign a very prominent ad campaign that they picked up offline and he just somebody happened to tell him congratulate him on his ad campaign for his photograph and he looked up and there was his 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 work in an air campaign without his permission and without compensation. So, I mean, people are going to have to be vigilant because when you do put your stuff out there online and you put it out there in the virtual world, anybody can tap into it for any reason. And so you have to be aware of where your images are going and sort of vigilant to take a look to see how they're being used and how they're being viewed. Okay. Danny, I have a question for you. Who is your favorite musical artist and favorite painter of all time? That is a really hard question. <laughs> oh, my God, my favorite musical artist. Uh, you know, it changes. If I had to really tie down who I love the most uh, throughout my life, I still got to probably go with Jimi Hendrix. Uh, my favorite artist now, that's different and it shifts, but I think I'll answer that by saying the person who influenced my my work the most is an Afro-Cuban artist named Wilfredo Lamb, who who uh, sent my work in the direction of of spirituality and finding the spiritual aspect of, of the world in your work. So Wilfredo Lamb is probably the most influential artist uh, that I've encountered to date and has changed the way I view art and my artwork. Okay. Um, Danny, I have a question. You have something called, I believe it's Motions and Sensitivity? Yeah, that's, that's at my on. gallery in Brooklyn. Motion yeah, Sensitive. And, not... Yeah, well, I'm sorry about hmm? that. Um, that's okay. Tell by the name, uh, I believe by the name of Giuseppe Lelio, which I was taken back by something you said, the way you described his art. You described his art as one of a relationship between human beings and the way they, you know, the way they move in their environment. And I wanted mm -hmm. to know, can you share with us a little bit about this exhibit? Because it seems very interesting. Well, the exhibit is curated by our director of education, uh, Meredith McNeil. And she's always thinking when she curates a show about how the work is going to interact and affect the children and how work can be used in the learning process for our children that we have in our in our rush programs. And so motion sensitive is about how children view motion and how they can translate motion uh into the artwork that they create. So we have various methods uh, uh various artists who do different things about motion in that show. Uh I think that the the the, the motion is what, you know, drives a lot of artwork and what moves in art is um, really important to get people engaged in it. And so when we're teaching kids, we want them to think about how their paintings flow, how their paintings move. And so we gave them examples that they're going to work from um, over the next few months by looking at the work that's in the gallery. Yes, yeah, so Danny, I'm, I'd like to know um, about going back to music, like, how do you listen to music these days? Like what kind of devices, whether they're analog or digital or both? Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty 
you know, I I turn on the radio in my car. That's where I mostly listen to music. But you know, I have a CD player. Um, I have um, you know music on my computer. I have Pandora on my computer. You know, I put in something and just let it run wild. Um, so you know, um, that's how I generally listen to music. I'm not really. I I love music, but I'm not. You know, I just recently got an email address about a year ago. So I am not one that had been very much involved in technology and so I have been listening to CDs and listening to CDs in my car and still largely listen to music via the CD. I don't download music. I don't do all that other stuff. Uh, I don't have serious radio in the car. I, you know. Well, well, Danny, come on now. We know for a fact that you are doing pretty well technology-wise because you have an iPad. That's all I got, though. <laughs> I got an iPad and a phone, uh, and a cell phone that, that that's you know that I can access that information from. Uh, so I'm not, you know, iPad is easier than a regular. That's uh, iPad is really easy to use, and that's why I got it. Not to be fancy, just because you know it's, you hit a button and everything happens for you. But you're not doing bad. You do have an iPad, so you are up to date, sir. <laughs> I am up to date, but the more up to date you get, the easier it becomes for the user. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm not looking to go through a whole lot of steps with this stuff. Well, you know, Danny, we just have a few more questions because we know your schedule is really tight, and we thank you for being with us. One of the things we'd like to know, you have some amazing projects coming up. I mean, there's so many, I can't even, you know, get them under one. You have a book out. A lot of people don't know that you were the creator of Death Poetry Jam. I also know that you're an avid collector of comic books in my collector. Yes, sir. And today is Wednesday, and i got to find out. Wednesday is the day comic books come out. Every Wednesday, new books come out. So I need to get to the comic book store at some point today. But... Besides that, yes, I have a new book of poetry coming out called Deep in Your Best Reflection. It's sort of sensual, erotic poetry. I am working on a novel that I wrote several years ago called Three Days as the Crow Flies. has just been turned into – after that, a couple of years after the novel came out, it, uh, it was it, it bought again by the same book company and turned into a graphic novel called 85. And now it's just been finished as a movie script. And I'm having some meetings later on in the month with people who want to be involved in producing that into a movie. So that's another project, but that's not as immediate as – the Bearden Project, this is the 100th anniversary of Bearden's birth. So it's the Romeo Bearden Centennial that was marked with anniversary stamps sent, uh, uh, produced by the uh, Postal Service. But they, we are coordinating that, me and a partner of mine, Brian Tate, are coordinating that effort with the Romeo Bearden Foundation. So there's, a, there's activity around that. And the most pressing thing and what I've been working on all day and for the last few days and the last few months really but right now since we're getting ready to launch is a project called Curate NYC which is an artist initiative that's going to have uh, uh, e-commerce online we're going to have shows like I think I said in all five boroughs we're going to have online shows and last year we did it this is the second year we're doing it we registered 1200 New York City artists and um, got 600,000 web hits, and we intend to do better this year. Um, so, we, you know, we're, we're really pushing that. And you know, there's my own personal painting career. I think I'm going to have a book party in the next two weeks for, for, the, for the new poetry book. And 
there's more stuff, but I can't remember it all at the same time. Oh, and well, I have one, Nelson George. I have what's what's the sorry? other one? Well, I have one. I really I want you to talk about the the wonderful thing that you're doing with a building in Brooklyn that we under, that you talk about on CUNY TV. Oh my God! Those. You know what? That did not happen. And I'll tell you why. We were all the way up to the thing, and we got ready. We got to the point of transferring title because it was a donation from a developer. And come to find out, at the point, a couple of weeks before the title, the developer went silent, and we he wouldn't answer our calls. And we come to find out that he had mortgaged the building up to the hilt because the rest of his company was failing. And so he had mortgaged the building to the tune of $3 million. And so, you know, we could not accept the building with that type of debt against it. And this had come to us through the boat. It was it was devastating to us. Uh, we had announced it. The New York Times had covered it. And we were at the point where we had been there and got engaged architects and this, that, and the other. We were really far down the road, and all there was was a title transfer, and there was a ceremony all set up. And like three weeks before that, he went silent, and we have not heard from him since. And uh, wow. we found out that he's defaulted and his business has gone uh, south. And I don't know if that was bad business or the nature of the economy, but his behavior in, in doing that without telling us what was going on, because he had started mortgaging the building a year before and never never um, disclosed that. So it really put us out there. So. Wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, um, the one thing I do, I, I know that Jay had a question for you, one last question for you about, you know, what your direction, what you thought about the direction with youth is. So, Jay, what was that question that you had for Danny about youth and, you know, the direction of youth? Well, I wanted to know the the, the way art and tech plays the, play in the future of youth. Like, what are you looking at and looking forward to dealing with the new technology and in the arts? Uh, well, you know, as I said before, I think this, this is an important thing. I think that all kids need to be Internet savvy and technology savvy. I mean, it's not even a question. It's, it's a necessity in this world. Uh, we'd like to get we'd like to get uh, personal uh, devices like iPads and that in the hands of every kid and have them start creating art that way and developing relationships with other artists around the world via the Internet. Uh, to have collaborative projects. Um, we're thinking about taking Rush, which is my foundation, uh, to several African countries, um, and we're talking with somebody in Ethiopia, we're talking with somebody in Dubai right now to bring art, that not only that we're doing, but some, you know, as our adult artists that we service, but also some of the art that the children service to those countries. So we're, we're trying to get our kids' work out there internationally, and the Internet is one of the ways to do it. Is there, is there a new breed of young artists and these children are more interested now than when you were coming up? Do you see like a, a, I, a... I think the art revolution of the 90s and the early 2000s have spawned a generation and, and the fact that art is in the media a lot more than it used to be, especially the visual arts, uh, have spawned a generation of a lot of people who are interested. I, I noticed that at, at art openings, there's a younger crowd. Our, our gallery in Chelsea, Rush Arts Gallery, um, 
certainly caters to younger artists, uh, artists in their 20s, emerging artists and, and, and emerging viewers. So there's a younger demographic that's coming out that's interested in art, not only as creators, but as viewers and patrons and people who are collecting and purchasing art. So I think that, you know, art is becoming more widely recognized as something to get into. It's hip. Whereas before, music was hip and, and theater was hip, and visual art wasn't that hip. But now visual arts is very, very hip, and people are showing up at art shows, and there's a very robust scene going on right now. Is, is there a lot of ceramic art still being made, you know, things, clay and stuff like that? Is that still popular? I, I, I know a number of ceramic artists, but they, uh, and one art, artist that has come up through our gallery is doing really, really well on the national national scene named Simone Lee. She was just the artist in residence at the Studio Museum and she in Harlem and she is a ceramicist and she does amazing things uh with with with, with ceramics and porcelain and things that you fire in a kiln. And so yes, and I've been in touch with another artist that's in New Orleans who just sent me a couple of days ago some of her ceramic sculptures. So yes, Ceramics is still out there and very much a part of the art scene. Well, well, Danny, we thank you very much for joining us. Can you tell us where we can find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook, and you can find me at both of the galleries, well, Rush Arts Gallery in Chelsea, and that's 212 uh, and in, in Brooklyn at the Carter Gallery, 718-230-5002. Oh, one thing you forgot, Danny, and that's the fact I that you're something? celebrating. A, yes, you forgot that you're celebrating the anniversary for Rush Arts Gallery. We're celebrating the anniversary for Rush Arts Gallery 15 <laughs> years. We just had a show called 15 by 15, 15 artists from the 15 years. That's up now, and it's a thoroughly amazing show uh, with 15 of the youngest uh, of young heart artists that have been through our gallery over the last 15 years, and you guys should come down to see the show. Whoever's in our listening audience, it's at 526 West 26th Street in the Chelsea District, uh, Arts District, and come on and see the show, and then take a walk around Chelsea and see all the artists. There are hundreds of galleries in Chelsea. It's a great afternoon to come down to that part of the city and just visit art galleries and see what's going on. Okay? Okay. And, Danny, thank you for your time, and we look forward to talking with you at another time. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this interview, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the things that are going on. Okay. Thank you. And you have a, a warm and blessed day. You too, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, bye. Well, well guys, we wow. had the most amazing fun today. Ian, Jay, did we not have fun? Yay! Absolutely. <laughs> Great. This was fun. You know, and I and I want to say another extra thing about Spark Art. You know, Ian, Spark Art is really cool, and I think, we don't you think we should connect them with Danny? Absolutely. I mean, it's all about art and it's about creating art on some different levels that, yes, that would be amazing. And, it, and they both love you. Yes. So, you know, guys, we want you to just remember, there is Nathan Hartwick and Natalie Miller over at sparkartvt.com. And you've definitely got to check out Danny Simmons at Rush Arts Gallery. 
He's in New York City, and we will send that out to all of you guys. It has been a wonderful time. Now we're going to move on to the next thing. We ourselves are working on a project, audience, around the world. We're working on a project called the Treasure in, Treasure in You campaign, and it involves giving back to the community. It's really about bringing together youth, parents, adults, everyone in every place. And so far, we've raised money for a small school in South Africa, uh, the eLearning Foundation in London, the Oakland International High School, and also the Kids Day uh, schools here in New York City. And our whole goal is to find out what is the treasure. That's the question we ask. What is the treasure in your school? Or what is the treasure you would like to see in your school? So we'd love for you guys to go over to jlife.org. That's J-A-E-E life.org. And check out what we're doing there. And you'll hear more about it in the coming weeks. And we've got some surprises coming with you from both Ian Eisenberg and also Jay Logan. And we just want to thank Wix.com for being a sponsor for us and having us do our show here today. You need to go to Wix.com and check out their website interface and see how easy it is to create a website. And get this, they also have a mobile interface so that when people go to look you up on the phone, they can actually, they can actually look you up on the phone. And this is for everyone. So everyone, again, come out and check out Wix.com. And if you're in the neighborhood, come on down to Wix Lounge and do some of your work out of Wix Lounge. Okay, guys, we're going to pass it on over to Ian and Jay. Thank you. Well, Jay, I mean, what a show it's been today. It's been a great show. I, I've just I've learned so much again, you know, and uh, learned a lot about art, you know. There was a lot about art, and there's a certainly a level of music, a level of family. And also right. I just wanted to bring out, um, like, on our Facebook page, since we didn't officially, like, have a kid of the day, I was, I actually found this really cool website. I found this this article on laughingsquid.com about this band called The Mini Band. It's a band featuring 8- to 10-year-old kids from England playing heavy metal songs, and they're covering Metallica, and they're covering Guns N' Roses, and they're cute little 8- to 10-year-old British kids. I see those kids, man. I, I, I saw those kids, and those kids were great, you know. I was like, now Pop Life, Pop Life has competition now because they sounded great. The guitar player was wailing on the guitar, and I was like, looking, I said, wow, you know. It's very talented, you know, and uh, they sounded great. It's like a little midget band. So wait a minute, Ian and Jay. You don't think I could sing better than these guys? Well, Gail, you know, there's the X Factor, there's American Idol, there's America's Got Talent. Gail, I invite you to go to the auditions next year. <laughs> no, Ian and Jay, that's just not fair. You know, would you guys like me to do a new song or a rendition for you? Well, oh, I'm not I mean, kidding. we're not going to get involved. We don't want to get in trouble. So we, I think you, you, you might, you might give them a, a run for the money. You might give them a run for the money. So we, you know. Well, Ian, do you, you think, think I don't know? Sing? Do you want to sing? That's the real question. If you want to sing, I invite you to sing. That's it. Like, I better not, Ian. I better save my voice for later because it would be too much for the audience. What do you think? I think a lot of things. That's how I will leave it. 
Yep, so Gail. Yep. Yep, so any final thoughts before we go and play that treasure song? Yes. Um, I want everyone to listen to the treasure song, and we will be sharing more about what is your treasure. So log in and let us know what your treasure is on parent, on www.facebook.com forward slash Parent Kids Music. Let us know what you would like to see in this school. And lastly, I, I have to say it again, Wix has been amazing. So if you're in the area, come down to Wix Lounge, and they're located at 10 West 18th Street on the second floor. And the reason why I keep sharing about Wix, this is an opportunity for always working from home and you're a creative person or an entrepreneurial person and you don't have a place to work out of and you're tired of just working in your pajamas, come on down to Wix Lounge. It's free, actually, guys, for those who are creating their businesses, their films. 10 West 18th Street, second floor in New York City. Thank you, Wix.com. All right. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Ian. I had to thank myself. All right. Thank you. We will, we'll, we're looking forward to next week's episode. We will all see you or hear you or telepathically feel you then. So until then, everyone, you have an excellent evening, an excellent day, and a great week.